All right. Welcome back to the Windrock Hockey Podcast. We are in partnership with the Black and Gold Hockey uh, podcast network. You're here with co-host, father and son duo, Andrew and Jim Lindrop. Dad, how you doing today? Doing great, Andrew. We are on the road, so to speak. We're not in our normal studio in Tulsa. We are actually uh, back to my hometown in Beverly, Salem, Massachusetts, uh, visiting some friends and, th- and family. Uh, so we're doing this actually in a hotel room, and I am excited about our guest, Tell us, give us the intro. And then we'll yeah, wait. so today we have our special guest, David Capuano. So Dave was drafted 25th overall in the 1986 NHL entry draft. Following his graduation from high school, after being drafted, he began his collegiate career at the University of Maine from 1986 through 1989. And after three years in college, he took the jump to the professional level, where he would end up making his NHL debut with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then later on that season, he dressed for 27 games with the Vancouver Canucks. And then from there, from 1990 through 1994, Dave went on to playing in a few different leagues, along with playing for the Tampa Bay Lightning during their inauguration year and the San Jose Sharks before retiring in 1994. So without further ado, please welcome Dave Capuano. Thanks for joining us today, Dave. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward yes. to uh, talking some hockey with you guys. Absolutely. So before Andrew starts with his question, uh, Maine Black Bear, talk to, uh, talk to us a little bit about uh, being on that uh, wonderful team, University of Maine. Well, I can tell you, I mean, <clears throat> we had quite a wagon when we were at the University of Maine. You know, Sean Walsh, who, uh, who did a tremendous job with Jay Leach recruiting that team. Um, obviously, back then they went from Division Three to Division One. And within a couple of years, you know, we were in the NCAA finals, I think, you know, two years in, in a row with going to the NCAAs all three years that I was there. Um, but it was a, you know, tremendous, tremendous team. We had um, Eric Weinrich, obviously my brother, Jack, Mike Golden, Mike McHugh, um, Keith Carney, Garth Snow. I mean, the list goes on of, of, of great players, obviously, you know, and God Snow went to uh, my high school at Mount St. Charles too, which we got to throw a shout out to Mount St. Charles, which yeah. is probably the best program, you know, that uh, on the East coast here for years and years. So. Did, uh, did Garth Snow had the big pads uh, back in the day, or was that just something he decided he needed to do <laughs> later on? Um I think he did it. I, if I can, you know, it's tough to remember back then, but I think he did uh, wear the, the big pads even in high school. Um, but, you know, great story about Goth is uh, I don't think he played really much until his senior year or maybe late junior year, senior year in high school. I mean, it was obviously always tough to get a spot at Mount St. Charles and, you know, kind of the same thing at Maine, you know, he, he worked really hard and, and um, obviously prospered into, to a great NHL career. And, and, um, and, uh, you know, general manager, too. Awesome. So, yeah, Dave, I wanted to highlight your incredible collegiate career, actually. I, I didn't mention it in the intro, but you were Hobie Baker finals two years in a row. And you're also the captain for the team, I believe, just your final year. So can you take us? I, I like to ask this question because um, I like to kind of compare to see uh, the, the work, the amount of hard work and sacrifice you had to make during your teen years. Um, in high school and then in college, you know, what were the sacrifices and the extra hard work you had to put in to make it to that NHL level? Well, you know, to, to, it's a little different, obviously nowadays, obviously, you know, I see a lot. My brother, Jack is, is obviously was head coach of the 
the Islanders for several years. And now as an associate head coach in Ottawa, you, you see what the guys go through now. And obviously the game was so much different, but you know, in high school, I played, you know, baseball and I played hockey. I was, you know, and I, I, you know, I, I look back sometimes and, and think with injuries I had, maybe I should have played baseball. Um, but you know, the sacrifices we made in high school, we, we, you know, all we did was play sports, but it wasn't as much training. I mean, we had guys who got together guys, you know, the guys I grew up with, I mean, just alone, you know, with David Quinn, coach of the, the Rangers, my brother, you know, a head coach. I mean, Gordy Ernst, Bobby Ernst, um, went to Brown university. Um, you know, it's just amazing. The group of guys we had, and there's many more that played division one hockey, you know, in a six month, six mile radius in the, in the city of Cranston, Rhode Island. So it's kind of a tremendous, uh, group of guys that played together. And, you know, we did a lot outside. We were very active. We played, if it wasn't playing basketball, we were playing street hockey. We weren't playing street hockey. We grew up on the ponds that the, the firefighters, you know, put together for us every year called aqueduct. So it was, it was more of that route versus sacrifices in the gym and in running and all that stuff where, where it's more like that today. And when we got to Maine, it was a little more sacrificed. I remember my first year at Maine and, and Jay Leach, who uh, was, uh, you know, a, a great, great assistant coach. And, and then the coaches were younger when we were at Maine, but, you know, they had us, we had a big hill outside the, the um, Adelaide arena and, and we had to run up the hill with guys on our backs. Oh, um, so those are some of the types of things we did. And, you know, we didn't have the best facility as for gyms and that type of stuff, but, you know, it, kudos to the coaches. They always made it fun. We always, Sean Walsh and that coaching staff were tremendous. And, you know, that we had such a tight group that still talks a lot today um, at the University of Maine. But it, obviously, it's it's a lot of commitments more as you get older. I think right. when you're younger, you know, you hear so many stories today about kids just in a, and I was fortunate enough to coach for a number of years. But, you know, kids just play one sport. And I just think it's um, it's just not the right way to uh, the right way to do things for your kids today. What brought you to the University of Maine? Um, you know, I, I know nowadays if a kid's really skilled, I mean, it's almost like if you're, um, you know, your class valedictorian, you, you have your choices of all these colleges trying to recruit you. Mm. What was it like for you? Uh, was it like that? Meaning, did you have choices or was I know where I'm going to go? How did, And how did you choose to end up uh, with the Black Bears? Well, obviously, you know, coming out of high school, coming, you know, my junior year, I had numerous offers. Um, and I, I went to visit probably three or four schools. I went to visit, I went to BU, I went to BC. Um, I think I went to UNH. Um, I didn't really go. I mean, I, you know, Michigan, Michigan States. I mean, I heard from all those schools, um, lucky, fortunate enough to play in you know, two world junior championships too. So the notoriety I got with, with playing in those championships, you know, I, I was, you know, you, I was out there. So I was, you know, I grew up with Craig, Craig Janney, Brian Leach, um, you know, Bob Corkum on, I, I mean, we had a heck of a junior team, you know, we, we put together. Um, so going to Maine, I mean, my, it ended up that, my, my future brother-in-law, Chris Cambio, who I grew up with since I was like seven years old, I went to Mount St. Charles with, he went to Maine. So 
and then my brother Jack obviously was at Maine. So I was up at Maine a few times. I got comfortable with Mike Golden, Mike McHugh, Eric Weinrich, you know, just great guys. It was just a, it was a great environment. Um, you know, I look back and, and think, well, maybe if I went to BU or BC, I win a Hobie Baker and not being up in Maine and being in Boston. But, <laughs> you know, it's uh, I would never give up what um, what my experience with the University of Maine was. So putting you on the spot, um, if you've got a, a kid really talented, got the goods, um, what, what would be uh, some some decision making they would have to make to decide where they're going to go? Like for you, it seemed like it was a good fit. You knew who's there. You knew a lot of people. But I don't know if a kid would be like it's talking to the coach and the amount of ice time they might get, where they might fit on the team, you know, of thinking about, geez, I could be pro after I graduate. I mean, what what kind of things might have might go through the mind of an elite high school athlete that's being recruited? Well, I look back and I, you know, I do have friends now that have kids that are at Harvard or at Yale. And, you know, I have other friends that I grew up with that went to Yale. So, I mean, academically, I think now I would look at it differently. Um, and I had the opportunity to go to schools that were probably different academically. But I think all that obviously, like you said, academically de definitely comes into play because how many guys do turn pro and how many guys, you know, make a living at turning pro and how many guys get hurt. And, you know, you know, so academically it's, it's have, having something to fall back on is huge. And then obviously like ice time, how many, if you're a center, are you going to be able to play center for four years? Are you going to, you know, are, are you going to get in the lineup? The, you know, there's a lot of different variables that go in. So that, that definitely is a, a factor that I would make today. And, and obviously the coach is a huge factor in, in the decision you made. Sean Walsh was one of the, the greatest motivated coaches that, you know, any of us, I think have, have could, could have had and his staff he had with Jay Leach and, and uh, you know, Bruce Crowder ended up being there. I mean, the staff was tremendous. So, you know, I think all those you got to look at as variables on, on how you decide what school you want to go to. So as I mentioned in the intro, you were drafted 25th overall in the second round by the Pittsburgh Penguins during that 1986 draft. So you were drafted right out of high school. And for our viewers that don't know, you had 87 points in 22 games in high school, which is insane. But can you tell us what your draft story was or how you found out you were drafted? Well, I went to the draft, obviously, at, at that point in time. I think I was ranked like 14th. Okay. So so going into the draft, I you know, you, you do the numbers, you look at it, you're sitting in the stands. Obviously, you're at the draft. Um, you know, I had met, obviously, with – Eddie Johnston, I had met with, at the time, Bobby Orr was involved with Pittsburgh. Um, so it was, you know, it's kind of crazy. Tony Esposito, Phil Esposito, um, you know, they were all scouts at the time. And, and, and a funny story is we had, at the time, Smokey Cerrone, who was a, a scout from Minnesota. Um, he was one of the head scouts from Minnesota who ended up, you know, instrumental in drafting in drafting Brian Lawton um, when Brian went number one overall. So my mother being Italian, my father was always involved. My father got involved, was very close with Smokey Cerrone. So Smokey used to come down and have all the scouts come to my house. They'd come down and they'd, my mother would cook this big, huge dinner and they'd all come down and they'd love my mother for, you know, her Italian food. And 
Smokey would come down. Eddie Johnson would be there. I mean, the, the list goes on of who was in my house having dinner. You know, back then to me, it was like, oh, the guys are just eating. But when I look at it now, um, but being at the draft and waiting for your name to be called, I'll tell you, it's it's something you'll never forget. And uh, when Pittsburgh called my name, obviously, I was excited. And, um, you know, it, like I said, it's something you'll never forget. Oh, absolutely. And so obviously you, you continued down the road after you had gotten drafted. And, uh, you know, what, what made you decide to go to the route of college versus juniors? Because I know back then, because I, I know now a lot more college kids are being drafted or making it to the NHL. But did you find yourself at a disadvantage at all? I, I, you know, I always say that, too. I always think back from, from when I graduated um, high school and I and I talked to, I know I talked to Seattle. I've talked I talked to a few many junior teams and my my mother and father didn't want me to go. I don't think I don't think they were they didn't push it on me at all. I think I but if I look back to with with where I was in in you know being a, a kind of a high draft pick and I think it could have been instrumental in playing 80 games a year and going through that schedule. I think that's the biggest thing in getting ready for the NHL. And I think if I look back, that's something that I always think about. What if I made that jump that way? And would I developed, you know, and, and been ready more so for the NHL game compared to coming out of college playing, I don't know, we played 40, 42 games maybe. Right. Yeah. So um, we'll fast forward to your first pro year before I get to your NHL experience side of it. I do want to ask you, you had played for the Lumberjacks in the IHL, but then you later ended up with the Milwaukee Admirals, I believe, near the end of that season. I noticed you had played two regular season games, and then you jumped into the playoffs with the Admirals. So what was it like playing two games with a brand-new team and then immediately having to hop into a very competitive playoff situation i mean you barely yeah, knew the guys on the team right yeah i and, and it's funny because my brother i think my brother that year was my brother played for milwaukee that year too we you know me and my brother both were in the vancouver organization but i believe i started off in pittsburgh i was sent down to muskegon and then i remember getting a call obviously from brian burke who traded for me in vancouver mm-hmm. um and I played in Vancouver that year. Then after the season was over, I went down to Milwaukee and played in Milwaukee, if I remember correctly, yeah. uh, a long time ago. Um, but it was, uh, you know, I, again, I had known several of the guys in Milwaukee. So um, it wasn't a huge adjustment for me. And, you know, it was um, it was a good learning experience that year. And, and, and every every year that you, every game you play is, was a learning experience. And obviously the, uh, the IHL, back then was you know a lot like the iron league so yeah, um, yeah. you know and playing in playing muskegon with with um with uh richard zemlack and mitch wilson um you know it opens your eyes quick on how fast you want to get out of there <laughs> yeah. well that was one of our questions on the list of you know transition from college hockey uh might not be you know it might be less physical full face shields, the cage, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden you go to the, the pros, you don't have uh, a shield and he, you know, he didn't have a shield. <laughs> you know, what was it like? And we heard stories about the IHL sort of being the outlaw renegade league, the independent league uh, pays well, I heard, but uh, kind of a crazy league. 
Yeah, I, I don't know about pays well, but um, <laughs> okay. You know, we were. You know, I think I think it did pay maybe a little better for some of the veterans. I was a young kid on my contract with Vancouver. Obviously, I wish I played today, um, but you know, it's uh, it was it was a crazy league, and 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 some of the things that went on um, in the IHL. You know, Link Gates was there when I was there too. And, uh, it was, it was, it was eye opening for sure. And I think, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, got, Americans don't practice fighting. They don't fight growing up. So I don't, you know, per se think that the Canadian kids are tougher, but when you fought 20, 30 times in junior and you, you know, then go to the, you know, American league and you fight there and then you got the Americans coming up, it's a, it's just a big different thing. And that's kind of why I look back too and say, if I had played junior hockey, would you, are you more prepared for that, that side of the game back then? So can you take us through your first NHL game? And was there a moment during the game, maybe you're sitting on the bench, maybe it was beforehand, pregame, that you finally took it all in and said, I finally made it? I don't know if I ever, if I ever felt that way, to be honest. I think more so... My first year when I signed with Pittsburgh and I didn't play, I went there for the playoffs and I, and I practiced with them. I think that was the biggest at all moment I've had because now I'm skating with Mario, Paul Coffey and, you know, Tom Barrasso, you know, a number of kids that guys, obviously you're, you idolize growing, you know, in that era. Um, Some of the greatest players that ever played Um, to me, you know, I don't know if Mario's number one or one A, but I mean, you know, it's just, you know, you sit there and, and you learn so much from those guys. And that's kind of what I tried to do when I got there was just learn. But, you know, the, I think the the time by the time I got to Vancouver, I felt like I could play and I could play in that league. Um, but you still never feel comfortable. I mean, every game, every shift, um, you know, it, it just you don't feel like, all right, I'm here for good especially when you're a young kid you're on a two-way deal you know it's it's kind of uh it's kind of always nerve-wracking well and i was about to ask that too was i mean what did you ever like have a moment where you finally gained that confidence because i can imagine for a young kid playing with those legends i mean you never feel like yeah i belong here i'd always feel kind of overwhelmed yeah i I, you know i i think you know obviously my first year but my but the first full season i spent in vancouver or I think I had 40 something points that year. Um, and I think I only played 60 games, you know, and then I, you know, I, I did have a lot of injuries after that and, and other stuff that went on, but, you know, I did feel like after that year or during that year, I did feel like, you know, not only could I play, but I could, I could play at a high level at this level. Right. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned the, you know, the two way, uh, deal that you're on. Uh, when we talked to Darren Banks, he's kind of um, um, kind of gave us an eye-opening experience where he's like, look, you know, I was on the Bruins. I played 20-something games up and down, but it's like the two-way player, even if I'm playing well, I'm going to be sent down. It's just a matter of time. The one-way guys aren't going to sit. So it's just, you know, he's kind of filling in holes here, there. And he's, you know, he did talk about how kind of frustrating that it was. But my question to you, Dave, is, is this. So you go from Pittsburgh to Vancouver. Um, what is it like to be traded? How do they go about doing it, especially when, when you were traded? I think it was like 89, 90, something yeah, like that. I, 
that's a, and, that's a pretty that's a pretty funny story. I was um, I was out the night before. I w- we had a game in Muskegon, and we didn't play the next day. So I think I mean we we went out and pretty much we were hammered. And uh, after that game, and for some reason, I think it was like a th- one of those three nights and three days, three back to back to back games that you know was kind of crazy to play in in the uh, IHL. And it was a Sunday, and I, you know, I got a phone call, and the phone rang. There was no cell phones. So uh, my roommate, who at the time I think was was Jamie Leach, was one of the Leach, the kid. Um, and he, the phone rang, and we didn't answer. We were sleeping. We got up. It's like 2 o'clock. The phone rang again, and, he's, you know, it was one of those, oh, you know, hey, Brian Burke's on the phone for you. I'm like, yeah, okay. He's like, no, Brian Burke's on the phone for you. So I pick up the phone. He, you know, David, we, we just traded for you. And it was like the best phone call you ever got. Like you're leaving Muskegon going to Vancouver, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, not nothing against Muskegon, but uh, I would much rather be in Vancouver. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. And so going back to that first season, I mean, you had four. You had played in two teams, the IHL and Pittsburgh yep. and Vancouver. I know as a young kid, probably, I mean, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. You probably didn't have like a super serious relationship. Was it still hard as a young kid traveling and moving? I mean, packing up like that and adapting. Yeah, I mean, you know, playing, playing for four teams in one year. Yeah. Obviously that's a tough year for you, but you know, you're, you are, I mean, I think was I 20 years old. So, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't terrible. And, and, you know, you, you know, when, when I finally, you know, the tough thing, when you, when you're traded like that, you're, you're comfortable with all your guys in Pittsburgh. You went to camp with them. You're in Muskegon with them. Now you're just like, Oh, it's a whole new team. It's a whole new 20 guys. Um, obviously when I got to Vancouver, I, I got traded with Danny Quinn who is, um, you know, just a, just a, a different guy. I can say a different guy. Very, very well. You know, I, I really got along with him. Well, he's a great friend to this day. Uh, great hockey player, great talent, great golfer. Um, just a talented kid and a great athlete. So, you know, and I got traded with Andrew McBain too. And, you know, they were great. They were, they were older, they had played. And obviously when I got there, Trevor Linden was there and Trevor, Trevor was a young kid and he was, he was a, just a tremendous leader. And um, Stan Smeal was still playing. Harold Snaps assisted on my first NHL goal. So, you know, it was, Vancouver had a a great bunch of guys too. They were, they were a great bunch of guys. And it wasn't like, I mean, some of the teams you could have went to some of the guys, some of the stories you hear about different things that go on. Um, thank God I was never involved with that stuff. So at the NHL level, then were the what, being traded, was that all the same thing where they just call you and say, Hey, you're traded or, you know, well, it was ironically Pittsburgh, Eddie, Eddie Johnson and, um, Tony Esposito, um, they had got fired. And when they got fired, obviously the, the, the new GM came in and, you know, obviously made a trade right off the bat. And, you know, I was, I was in that trade. So I never got a phone from Pittsburgh call from Pittsburgh saying, Hey, we traded you or nothing. I got a call from Vancouver saying, you know, we need you on the next flight out here. And, and that was wow. it. I never, I don't think I ever talked to Pittsburgh again. So not looking for any gossip, but actually Dan Quinn is going to be our guest next week. Ironically. Oh, that's awesome. You uh, You guys will have fun uh, with him. Do you, uh, is, is there a, is there a story we can kind of shock him with like, Hey, we heard this or that not, not to, I'm not looking for gossip, but you can ask him if I, you can ask him if he was, um, 
if there was one story where he was thrown thrown against the wall, I don't know who did it or what happened, but you can ask him that. Okay, we'll we'll ask him Sounds that. That's good. great. But he's uh he's a he's a character, and um, like I said, to this day, he's a good friend and uh, a great athlete. And um, I'm glad you guys have him on. It'll be a lot of fun with him. Cool, great. So um, we're going to talk really quick about uh, putting you again. Just make you know not preparing for this question. Which player? And it could be in any league. It could be hockey. I mean, uh, college. Who had the ability to get under your skin the most? There's always that rat or that guy that just got under your skin every single time. That's a that's a really tough question. I would say I would have to say honestly, it was probably my brother. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so when we were at Maine. My, I think it was a first or second practice. Now, my brother was a sophomore and I was a freshman. He was a, a year ahead of me. And I remember after practice, the guys coming in going, you know, like, you guys are brothers? Like, we would battle so hard on the ice. And it, like, we just did it our whole life since we were five years old playing in a basement. We had a basement that was kind of like a hockey rink with the, you know, the, the, the boards being the, you know, being the boards and, you know, we would hit and play hockey with all of us down there. And that's how we were. That's how competitive me and my brother were. And I think it helped me more than anything. But when we were at Maine, there was a lot of guys that, that literally thought we hated each other after the first practice, because I mean, if he had a chance to run me, he would run me and vice versa. I mean, he wow. was bigger than me and stronger than me probably, but you know, that's probably the one guy that got, that got under my skin more than anybody. <laughs> it was, uh, it was in college. But, uh, you know, the, the good old uh, Sunday Italian dinners were okay, though, right? You guys passed yeah, that? Yeah, but this, I mean, this, me and him, we battle going way back. And, and a, lot of, <laughs> a lot of our friends make, uh, make jokes about uh, all the battles that we had. Um, I, think I, I, think one time I, I think one time I did try to run him over with a golf cart, too. I don't, I don't think I got him, <laughs> but I almost got him. And, and um, that's a true story. <laughs> Did your mom or dad ever say, "Hey, take it easy on each no, other"? No, dad loved it. His dad. No. no, there was, there was, there was. You know, you didn't come if you weren't if you didn't break anything. You didn't come upstairs. There was that was. <laughs> That's awesome. So, what, what was the most? And I know this can, can be a bit broad, but if you can remember something specifically, what was the most embarrassing or funniest moment that happened to you on the ice during a game? During yeah. a game. Oh, that's another tough question. Um, I think I broke a blade once. Ugh. I think I broke a blade once and I couldn't, I had a hard time getting off the ice. Yeah, that's always yeah. embarrassing. Yeah, it's embarrassing. So we are partnered, like I said in the beginning, with the Black and Gold Hockey Network. And personally, we are diehard Bruins fans. And obviously, we have a lot of Bruins and Providence fans that listen to this. So do you mind giving us just a, a cool story or something that you enjoyed your time at the Providence Bruins? Well, it's... um just so you know, you guys know, I, I do do uh, the Channel 12 with um, Yanni Caracas and Maury for the Bruins. I did the, the playoff run last year, um, about two years ago, and then I'll, I'll do it again this year with them cool. for the Bruins. Uh, you know, just breaking down the, the different Boston, uh, the games after the playoffs and stuff. But as far as, as Providence goes, you know, I just obviously I was from Cranston. I think I, I, I wasn't here long um, I think I played 30 or 40 games in Providence, if I remember correctly. And I, I had a, 
my serious back injury when I was there. So I, you know, I played, I didn't play, I missed some games. Um, probably one of the funniest stories there was Mike Milbury coming in one time, you know, breaking sticks over everything, throwing trash barrels. Um, that was probably the biggest event that went on there when I was there. I was, I was a little not older, but I mean, you know, I had played a, a lot in the NHL and coming down there, you kind of felt like, you know, you were one of the veterans at that point, but you know, it was kind of funny to me, you know, because I had, uh, I had, um, Pat Quinn in Vancouver. And I remember we had a ping pong table in Vancouver and we had a ping pong table and but we'd play and he came in and Pat really wasn't a, a lot, a guy with a lot of words, but he came in and he had the biggest hands and he smashed the ping pong table one shot and the whole thing cracked. And it kind of reminded me of kind of what Milbury did coming in, smashing sticks and throwing the, the sticks everywhere um, when he wasn't happy with the way we were playing. Was there a lot of coaches that were like that in your playing career? Just those old school, tough love coaches? Um, you know, <laughs> Pat Quinn, um, Pat Quinn was definitely one of them, but he wasn't, um, he wasn't verbally type of guy. Um, Bob McElhockey, Mike McElhockey, him and um, the other assistant coach we had, um, they were old school. I mean, they were, you know, you know, talk about boozing every night, talk about missing practices, sometimes falling asleep in the locker room, couldn't get to practice, say we're hammered, um, that type <laughs> of stuff. That was the old school stuff that I remember. And, and, you know, even talking, um, so in Tulsa, we have season tickets to uh, the Tulsa Oilers, the East Coast League team there. And um, old, um, um, oh, come on, come on, coach, Rob Murray, you know, the AHL guy, Rob Murray, yeah. really kind of an instigator guy. I think he just got in the AHL Hall of Fame, used to play for Washington for a little bit in NHL. Well, anyway, he would talk about how, you know, it's like a, you know, 12 pack the next day after a game and sleeping in. And now even the, you know, the East coast players now, they don't drink, they don't do anything. You know, they, it's, it's workout. They're just a much more serious mentality. And I guess that's one of the things that's different from back in the good old days to now is uh, that story. Would you agree with that? Oh, and I, I brought that up earlier about, you know, you know, my brother and him telling me what they, you know, after games now, a lot of times, you know, they'll have workouts on their, in their locker, in their locker for each player. If you played 16 minutes, you know, you might have to ride the bike for eight, you know, do this after, if you played 12 minutes, you might have to do more. Um, and they do that sometimes now too. So they don't bring you back in the morning and you, and you can spend a little more time with your family. Um, plus they, they get you right in after, I mean, back then, I mean, it was when I, back in the old school, I mean, there was, there was times, a lot of times where myself and Danny Quinn closed the bar down. I mean, there was, <laughs> you know, a lot of times on, uh, on uh, Richard on Richard street in Vancouver that uh, um, we, we closed the bar down and, and uh, had a lot of fun doing it. <laughs> Did you ever uh, wake up the next morning to go play a game where you ever hung over or just like, I don't know if I can make it through this practice or this game. I, there's definitely times about practice. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, games. No, I would never, uh, never do it. Maybe in the, maybe in the IHL, maybe in the IHL that <laughs> happened, but not in the NHL. I was, you know, obviously very dedicated in the NHL to, uh, 
you know, if we had a game the next night, I mean, we were, we were all very dedicated to uh, doing the right thing, you know, but we had off nights, uh, you know, and, and there wasn't a lot of single guys when I played in Vancouver, Danny Quinn being one of them. So um, we, we actually lived together for a year. So there was a lot of, uh, a lot of good stuff that went on there. So, and, and um, you might have to be political in how you answer this just because your brother's still in, in the coaching, but, you know, we hear the big complaint from guys like Shane Corson that we've had on to Darren Banks to really anybody that's played in the eighties and nineties that they're a little bit offended, I guess, on uh, that these younger players, millions of dollars now coming in, but they're being coddled, uh, you know, like Shane Corson would say, he'd just be benched, you know, for the least little thing. You shut your mouth, you do your time until you get your chance again. But it seemed like today it's like, oh, you know, Dave, don't go and do that next time you go out there and look at this video. And it, how, how do you feel coaching has changed over the last 20, 30 years? Well, I, I think it has. But I think if you look at someone like John Tortorella, maybe it hasn't. And if you look at somebody that, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, maybe even like a, a coach in Tampa, maybe that type of coach, um, you know, so there's two different avenues, but there's definitely, you know, there was no, you know, there was times, you know, I remember that you just, you know, you weren't tapped for a period and a half, two periods and you didn't go and all, you don't know why or what. And after the game, you just kind of go back to, you know, working hard in practice and, you were never told, but now I'm sure that that, you know, but I, I also think that there's, you know, there's so many more millions invested with these players now. So maybe that's one of the reasons why they do get coddled, but um, you know, it, it, it probably is frustrating to, to see some of that now. And I, and I think that, you know, some coaches do get frustrated by that. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they would have to now on the opposite end um, we had on uh, the um, Arizona coyotes special skill coach and you know he played in the uh overseas he played a little bit in the nhl and uh, i asked him like you know what do you do and he does everything from a lot of scouting and it could be just uh face-off scouting the coaches may say put together some stats on this or that or whatever and i asked is it getting to the point where players can, you know, they get their iPad, they can watch video in real time. You got the defensive coach yapping in their ear. You know, you got all these people, you got the assistant coach upstairs yelling down to give a message. Is it becoming like over coaching for these players or are they just used to it because it's getting that way in the, uh, the other leagues or even in college? It just seems like, what's going on? What do you want me to do? I think there's a lot of that. That's for sure. I, you know, I don't, I haven't been around a pro team or even a college team in a long time, as far as all the electronics and um, you know, all that stuff that they do. So I, I can't really answer for that as much as I know that, you know, there's one guy even that played for Boston this year that I felt was, they overdid it. I felt they overdid it as far as not letting them play. And I think that comes in sometimes with what you're saying is a guy's, you know, looking over their shoulder and this guy's telling me to do this, this guy's telling me to do that. And I was, I was a type of player that had really good peripheral vision. I could, I, I, I could see what was going on. I kind of, you know, was gifted with, you know, seeing things before they happened. And 
I think that the, the, those type of players today, you know, it, it's, it's tougher. They're not going a million miles an hour. They're not hitting everybody. And I think it's, there's a, there's a, there's a big um, disparity sometimes on, on, you know, getting those type of players and, and getting the best out of them by leaving them alone. And so, go, you know, with the coaching and everything, too, we notice, you know, and, and we'll, we use a lot of the comparatives, you know, for the Bruins, but we notice players like McAvoy. I mean, we know some of these defenders, when, when a guy's coming into the corner, they like to turn their back a lot. I know that the physicality and the hitting kind of is going down in some of those younger junior leagues and everything. Do you think that they're, I mean, putting themselves up to hurt more? Because, I mean, look at Martian. He's 5'9", and he just knows how to protect himself. Yeah, yeah. I think he's talking about players, you know, put them in vulnerable positions where they haven't learned yet because they're 19 and 20 how to protect themselves against these big guys in the NHL. Well, there's a lot to that. Number one, you got to have the respect as a player, not, you know, knowing a kid's going to turn. And, you know, I, I just I just find it irrehensible sometimes when I see some of these hits, um, knowing, you know, with some of the concussions issues that I've had and obviously the concussion issues that so many people will have a hundred times worse than me. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's really disheartening to see some of the hits. Um, even the hit on Wilson on, on DeCarlo this year, you know, no need for that. There's just no need for it. It shouldn't be in the game. Um, you know, you give somebody like that, a, a repeat offender 20 games for that. And it's not going to happen. And it, someone's got to be making an example out of, out of this guys. I mean, back in the day, you know, I was lucky enough to play against some of the toughest guys. Gino Ajik was on my uh, team. Um, obviously Bob Probert, they were all in the league then. And there was never these problems. There was never these problems. And today I think, you know, guys are faster guys are better skaters, but, the, the lack of respect sometimes it, it, it kind of really hits on you because, you know, these guys don't realize in 20 years, they're going to feel those hits and they're going to feel those concussions a lot worse than what they think they are. And do you think with that specific, like a Wilson situation, how you said that stuff didn't happen when a Bob Probert was around, do you think that fighting should stay relevant in hockey or do you think hockey, I mean, fighting should be thrown out in general? I, I you know, I think it should stay relevant. Obviously, I, I don't I think there's a place in the game for it. And, you know, obviously right now, compared to 10 years ago or 15 years ago, it's, you know, some nights you don't obviously even see a fight. So, you know, I, I definitely think there's a need for it. But I also think there's a, a need for the league to be more consistent in what they're doing. And if it's a repeat offender, they have to be, you know, and it's unfortunate because Wilson's such a great player and yeah, he doesn't yeah. need... He doesn't need to do what he does at times. Um, and, and there's more guys in the league that, that are also like that. So it's just, it, the league needs to clamp down on it. And, and, you know, sometimes I think it's just bull crap that, you know, the league says they care so much about the players. It's kind of like the NFL, you know, when they lower their helmets to hit either way, I think it's, it's totally ridiculous that they can use their helmets as a weapon. Right. Yeah. So, um, what we, we've heard, you know, what it does to the crowd and to, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, uh, the energy of the game. Um, 
But what does like when something happens, a guy's purposely running another guy and it's not, you know, an enforcer against an enforcer. It's a guy running a guy you shouldn't, like you talked about. There's not much respect there. And once somebody on your team stands up for the guy and they, they start going at it, what does that do from your perspective from, to your team's bench? Is it like whatever it's happened or, or does that actually energize you guys? No, it's, it's definitely, I mean, listen, we have such respect. I had such respect. I mean, I wasn't a guy that was paid to go out there and fight or anything like that. You know, any of that situation, obviously I, I had a few of them myself, but um, you know, the respect you give guys for doing it. I mean, someone standing up for, with Wilson or Probert or those guys, um, you know, it's just, it's just a respect factor. Win, win, lose a draw. You know, it doesn't really, it affects your team in, in, in getting, especially as getting closer as, to, as a team. Um, right. You know, you saw what happened with the Rangers game not long ago. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that type of stuff can compel a team and really bring a team together. And that's, well, and that's kind of what it does. And that was my next question was, was the Rangers and uh, situation just those few days ago. And I, I saw a lot of people react and I was kind of surprised because I, some people were posting back when the Rangers and Devils had their opening face off, but it was all goons fighting. It kind of seemed like somebody sent out a fourth line or something, but this Wilson wasn't even on the ice. So what, what was the message in your opinion, the Rangers were trying to send when they had those three fights off the bat, it had nothing to do with Wilson technically. Yeah, I, I think that that they the Rangers were just basically saying, "Listen, we're here. You know, when we don't like what went on, we don't like what happened, and I and we're here. And when we, you know, and I think I think that I'm sure the coaches came down on them for somebody, you know, not doing something at that moment. Um, but and, and and wouldn't a captain kind of in the? I mean, because that happened like second period or whatever it was, the Wilson thing. Wouldn't a captain go, what are we doing here, boys? We got, I mean, they played a half a game and nobody went after Wilson. He stayed in the third period. I mean, it almost seemed like, I mean, I know the Rangers had a bad season. Have some, you know, I mean, easy for me to talk about. I'm not the one to go fight Wilson. I don't think, I don't, I don't think the Rangers really had a bad season. I think that, um, you know, with Panera in the lineup, they were probably one of the better teams in the NHL. It seemed, you know, yeah. going through the this COVID shortened season. Um, so, but I, I think that I don't know how I, I obviously not in that locker room, and I don't know what was said and what wasn't said. But it it was a little odd that that, that nothing happened. And you know, people talk about, you know, I mean, I think that a lot of people try to downplay that. Where what you know, the problem was you got one of the best players in the NHL getting thrown down and lucky he didn't hit his head. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and to me, again, it's Wilson in the middle of something, doing something that shouldn't have been done. There's just no, there was, there's no need for it. So, and, and again, you know, the, the coaches, I think in the NHL are great. In my opinion, I think they're pretty respectful. I mean, we've had players that have, that have kind of trashed former coaches and, you know, they're player killers and all that, but, uh, especially, and, and I forget, uh, is it, is it Trotz that's a uh, Washington coach? Well, whatever. Um, I, I mean, how do you sit Wilson down and go, let's calm down. What are you doing? I mean, you have Laviolette as the coach. Oh, that's right. It was Laviolette. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's sure. a well-respected coach from some of the players we talked to. I mean, why doesn't someone sit him down and go, well, calm down or you're not going to play. Yeah. I, I grew up with Peter too, by the way. <laughs> so 
we uh he was just over the line he he lived in um, massachusetts and he actually we actually played a lot of summer league hockey together myself my brother and it's funny because david quinn my brother and, and peter playing the same team and at one time well basically they're all three guys as nhl coaches kind of crazy um wow but uh you know i i don't i don't know like i mean peter's old school so i mean if Wilson's on, on my team, you know, you're loving the guy, you know? Right. So it, it's, 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 um, it's hard to, it's hard to decide to decipher which way you want to go. But again, it's, it's that little stuff that, that gets done where, you know, he's, he's throwing a guy down. That's like I said, one of the top guys in the NHL that literally could have smashed his head. You know, I, I think some people are saying, Oh, it was, you know, it was just a hockey play. I just, I don't agree with that. And I don't, I think at some point, I think it's going to come right now too. Now you got the Bruins and playing the Capitals. I mean, that series is going to come down to, you know, the 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 more disciplined team because I think if 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 the Bruins are disciplined, I think they beat Washington. Yeah, yeah, and the Bruins are playing great right now. I mean, everybody was on Sweeney's, you know, rear end about you know do something, do something. Appears he made a at least a short term good decision. The Bruins are playing great, but you know. Who knows how far that, that they would go. Yeah. It's going to be interesting with them because I, you know, um, you know, Taylor Hall obviously has, has, I think that whole second line is so interesting because I'm, I'm a big Smith fan. Um, and Taylor Hall just, you know, he's been not good for so long and, and to, 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 to flip that switch, like he did, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I hope that he just, you know, continues to play with, you know, the battle, you gotta, you gotta battle in that league. You gotta play. It's not a, it's not a one effort league. It's a three effort league. And if he can play with three efforts, you know, he's going to be successful. So just to ask you, uh, I want to ask a Tampa question, uh, but I want to follow up on this. So since we're talking the Bruins, Swayman's hot and Halak is playing. Okay. Um, you know, but Swayman's only played against, you know, six, five NHL teams he goes in the playoffs does he have enough experience who do you go with with the, with the backup i mean do you go with halak do you go with swayman apparently they're starting with swayman yep. it might not matter you know rash yeah. might play at all but um you know you got to kind of feel bad for halak because i don't think he plays bad no i mean it, listen it's the pros i don't feel bad for any of those guys making what they're making well yeah, that's exactly. that's, yeah. um, that, that's true but uh you know, it's, it, it is, you know, you get the tap when you're ready to play and you play. And, and I think Halak will, will be there when he, when called upon. And I think that, um, you know, Swayman is going to be the back, what the backup, the first game, is that what they're saying? So, yeah, you know, it, it, you know, obviously it's going to come down to Rask. I think Rask is, is, is well rested and, and proven when he's rested, how, how good he can be. And I think that obviously defense wins championships. And I think if Boston you know, can play that style and, and, and be disciplined because Wilson's going to be running around and there's going to be times where, you know, I'm sure Chara is going to play a little different of a game in the playoffs and try to get under their skin too. And I think, you know, Washington's got a heck of a power play and they got a lot of talented guys and it's going to come down to the, the discipline of, of the Bruins. And, and that goes back to Wilson being disciplined too. And, and um, it could hurt him being, you know, being the way he is in the playoffs and, 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 you know, not just playing his game because obviously he's a great player. He, he is. It's good. It's going to be a great season, but be, before uh, we run out of time here, 
you did play a little bit for Tampa Bay. Now, I, I lived in Tampa 16 years before going to Oklahoma. So I was a Tampa fan there for a while. But you played during their first inaugural year. And that was crazy because it was a whole Phil Esposito thing, bringing it to Florida. People didn't know. Where the hell did you play games? Wasn't it in St. Pete somewhere? Somewhere? Um, I believe so. That's a tough question because I um... – it was like old San Jose where they used to play in like the cow barn or the yeah, cow pen or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I played in to... the cow barn too, yeah. Cow so, yeah. I played in both those rinks, but it, uh, Tampa was interesting. It was, a, you know, not really a hockey town, you know. And, right. and I obviously now I, I was – I played with Brian Bradley um, in Vancouver. And, um, you know, he's actually down in Florida now coaching. There's a lot of guys down there now, obviously – but, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting time. And obviously when Tampa started, everybody was like, oh, it's going to be hockey in Florida. How's that going to work? Well, it's turned out pretty good. Yeah, yeah it and, turned out really good. And that Tampa Bay and Florida first round lineup is going to be a great Yeah, I, I, I kind of think that um, – I kind of think Pitt's going to win their round, and I think Florida's going to win their round. Wow. Yeah, I hope so. Florida needs it. I mean, yeah. they're not a bad team. I mean, they've been making good deals over the years. And, and I actually went to a Florida game – about two years, the year before COVID, and and yeah, the attendance was really bad. So yeah, I hope I hope yeah. Sunrise they can they can do it. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now. So What's going right, on right now? I am the uh, the city treasurer and slash senior revenue agent for the city of Cranston, which I grew up in. I've been there for about twelve years. I work with um, Maya Fung, Alan Fung, for for twelve years. He just term limited out as a Republican, a great guy, um, you know, a little short, a little short on the, the top of his head right now too, losing his hair, but <laughs> overall, um, a great guy. And, um, we had a lot of fun together and hopefully he'll move on to, uh, to someday being the governor of this uh, great state of Rhode Island. Nice. Nice. We've going to finish up with lightning round questions. So we're going to ask fast questions. You don't have to answer them fast. You could answer them in one or two words if you want. If there's a story, feel free. Uh, but we're just going to go question, 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 and let you do the talking, okay? Gotcha. All right, here we go. Now, this is going to be, should we say, in the pro, so not college, beyond college. Yeah. All right, so any pro league, who is the toughest goalie to play against? Uh, Brodeur. Not fighting, but who is the toughest player on the ice to play against in general? I'm just going to say Bob Probert. <laughs> and and why would that why would that be? Since it's a Probert, our listeners would be like, "Come on, you got to ask him a follow up question." <laughs> because I think Proby was one of the best hockey player tough guys ever to play. So how? I mean, obviously not talking about throwing his fist through your face, but how mm. tough was he on the ice? How strong was he? Well, he was just so respected. Number one, he was tough. Number two, he got, and you know, during his, his years there where, you know, he wasn't going through the tough times that he obviously went through, you know, he was just such a, a great player. I think he had 30 more, 30 or more goals. And I mean, it's just unheard of for what he had to do his hands is, you know, you get in one fight and your hands are beat up, you know, and wow. you know, for him to do what he did and it's unfortunate, you know, some of the stuff he went through, but, you know, what, what a great, great hockey player, all-around hockey player. The best arena you played in? 
Well, I'm going to go to University of Maine. How's that? You know, you're not the first guest to say they're, they're old college or rink. Yeah. So it's not surprising. Well, but it's, what, it's, made, what made it so great? I can tell you this. I can tell you that the University of Maine rink, when we played in it before they expanded it, was the loudest college hockey rink, I think, in the country. And I say that because we had about 30, I think they had about 2,500 seats, but then they had 1,000 or 1,500 people stand up around. And it just got so loud in that building that even other teams that came up obviously loved to play in that rink. It was just a great atmosphere. It was so loud. Unfortunately, I've been back for a few games and it's not the same rink because they expanded and they opened it up and it's not as loud. But back then, I'd, I'd have to say, obviously, you know, the Boston Garden too. my first game in the Boston Garden was probably, you know, as a pro, my my favorite thing. So uh, the worst arena you played in, I'm talking the worst ice conditions, maybe a terrible locker room. What was just the worst one you played? Maybe back to the Boston Garden. Yeah. You're not the first one to say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and was it just the ice? I mean, I mean, the garden is what it was, but was it ice or was it just, I mean, yeah, it's such ice, a small rink. Yeah. The ice wasn't great. It was a tiny rink, which wasn't great for me. Uh, it was just, it was, it was a tough rink to play in. Plus, you know, the, it was just old. It was an old, old building. And, um, and the ice seemed never to be good after like seven, eight minutes of a period. <laughs> Um, some guys that played it during your time, they also talk about the odd in Buffalo. They hated the odd in Buffalo. You know, I don't know even know if I played in the odd in Buffalo. Oh, okay. Honest, I don't, you know, being in Vancouver most of my career, we didn't venture down this way too much. Yeah. Toughest player you got to play alongside with? Uh, it's easy. Gene Logic. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that this, this will be the last question. I know it's very broad, but just the first thing that comes to your mind, what's your favorite memory from your hockey career can be at any given time? Uh, I think I'd have to go my first goal. Cool. My first goal in Vancouver and, awesome. and, you know, just the way it happened and the, the importance of it and everything else. So how did it happen? Uh, Puck went left corner. I think Stan Smeal threw it back to Harold Sneps, and Harold Sneps, you know, took a slap shot. And I kind of seen the whole play happen, and I was kind of left of the net. And and I was lucky to see the puck come. And I just, you know, I seen the goalie going to make the save, and I just kind of tried to anticipate where the puck was going to go. And it went like probably like a foot in the air, and I hit it out of the air, but it was. <laughs> You know coming pretty fast so it was just the way it happened cool awesome awesome well dave i don't want to keep you uh thank you so much i'm going to pause the recording to say goodbye off air but officially thank you for joining yeah, us on this podcast you, and boy it, it, this is this is this has been great <laughs> thank you thank you it's been a lot of fun all right yeah what do you think andrew Great guest. I mean, he's got a lot of knowledge. And as you can tell, he's he grew up and played hockey with a lot of prominent figures, whether it's, you know, big hockey players or coaches today. And uh, we're going to have on our next guest next week that you dropped in the middle, Dan That's Quinn. Right. That's so right. We're going to have Dan well Quinn on there. Announced that as well. So, yeah, it was a great time. Dad, what were your thoughts? 
Yeah, I, I had a great time. I have a great time with every guest. Uh, significant though of this guest is, you know, he was in, he mentioned it, uh, but I think he was being humble too, that, uh, you know, the University of Maine at that time when he was there, it was a big turning point for that, that, that whole college and NCAA, like you said, going from uh, going up to, uh, uh, you know, division one. Right. And, you know, he, he played on his great teams and kind of helped develop, you know, part of the legacy that they're, they're upholding today. So uh, great guest. I, I, I had a great time. And uh, we know that this uh, particular podcast is going to probably be about a week or two late than what we record, right? Because we do have some uh, podcasts that are backing up. We try to release one once a week. So but the, uh, the Bruins and Washington series, maybe by the time the exists, it might be over. Maybe, right. but we'll uh, we'll play it play it from there. Well, who do you think will win, Dad? We might as well go ahead and put it now. Well, hopefully the Bruins win. I think the Bruins can win. I think everything that Dave said was is true. If they're disciplined and they don't get involved in, you know, the emotional stuff and everybody plays, you know, their A game, yeah, they 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 they, sh- they can win. They probably should win. It's going to be a great season, but we will try to get Dave on and then we'll just release that after a few games. <coughs> yeah. Uh, we won't stick to the one you know, <coughs> one uh, release a week. Right. So anyway, we don't want to get bogged down with uh with that stuff so uh we're gonna call it here because we've been about an hour so we'll call it all right well we appreciate everybody this is going to be episode 26 26 give us a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. uh again uh thank you for all the listeners uh we keep getting uh following our uh, parent company's um data and stats that uh our podcast continues to grow uh please feel free on twitter to uh give us a little feedback Instagram, Andrew, if they want to follow us on Instagram, we need Instagram followers because we just started that. Yes, and I am going to, once uh, I'm finished with my school job next week, um, I'll be a lot, we'll be a lot more active on it, posting uh, a lot of additional content that we've been working kind of behind the scenes on, but uh, Lindrop Hockey Podcast, that's, that's, that's what it is. You look us up on. So you just type Instagram. that in? Yep, and you'll find us and we're brand new on there. We haven't really done much yet but like i said we will once i'm able to not be working two jobs and this summer will be big for the podcast I think. follow us on twitter because we also have um a lot of interesting i like to post personally uh hockey Bruin, boston bruins history on this day 19 whatever uh so check us out on twitter yep. and uh we'll catch you guys next time all right have a great weekend